0: Going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Welcome back to the Calgary Today podcast. After a couple days off for the Christmas break, we are back. It is that time of year, though, where we revisit some of the great conversations we've had over the past year, or in my case, the last four months since taking over Calgary Today. We'll also look ahead to 2019 and we talk business, we talk Christmas trees, a little bit of hockey as well. And yes, politics. As always, thanks for listening to the Calgary Today podcast. All right, let's get going into this interview with Jim Dinning, former finance minister here in the province from September 20th, I believe. And this one really turned the tide in my eyes into how provincial politics Should be handled. And we started off with a question about what he would have done had he been in this situation financially.
1: Help from outside, credible outside people, to define the problem. We didn't just jump into it, you know, both feet first and head first. We we asked Marshall Williams and George Cornish and others to help define the problem. We did a financial review commission. And then uh, we took that out on the road, and the premier of Alberta at the time, Rolf Klein, master communicator that he was, went out and told Albertans, here's the truth, don't believe me, don't believe us, but this is what outside credible folks have told us, is the state of our our finances, the state of our economy. And uh, clearly, they've they've rec- they've made some recommendations on how we ought to fix it. But most of all, we went out and sold Albertans, led them to see that we got a serious we had problem, and uh, that is that's 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 using leadership and the capital that leaders have to go out and, and use that capital to put it on the line. and Say, look, we screwed up. We've made some mistakes. Uh, people before us have made mistakes, and, and we are not going to continue the mistakes of the past. We're going to figure out a way to dig our way out of this ditch.
0: Is that what your first recommendation then would be to the NDP government or whatever government comes into power uh, in, in next year?
1: Yeah, I think the most important thing is make sure we got the facts. Make sure that, that they are believable, that they're transparent, that there's no hidden agenda here. And then uh, and if, if the government can't do it because it's not credible of any strike. this is not a partisan issue. It is getting the facts. And so Albertans truly understand. And there's something remarkable about we prairie people. We're pretty pragmatic. That when there's a problem, we, for the most part, we don't tend to kick the ball, kick the can down the road. We say, you got a problem? I understand it. Now let's go fix it. And so that, that is clearly one of the things that I would encourage the current government and uh, any future governments to do exactly the same thing.
0: Where do you see the issues right now? I, I know you get kind of an outside look of things, and you're not getting into the, the minutiae of each budget line item, but uh, from a from a kind of global perspective, what do you see as maybe the big issue facing this government right now?
1: The The biggest issue facing any Alberta government today and over the next five years is jobs. Is jobs and the economy and making... The, and helping helping the economy to become robust again, and helping job creators—usually men and women who own and operate businesses—helping them to have the confidence that they should go out and hire one or two. Ask uh, any number of people. You ask folks along Seventeenth Avenue Southwest or Southeast or 16th Avenue, just go up and down that street and ask them, what could the provincial and municipal levels of government actually do to lighten the weight of government on you and your business, whether it's taxes, property taxes, income taxes, corporate taxes, whether it's employment standards, or whether it's environmental standards, that that, do they really, really need To uh, meet certain uh, heavy obligations that simply cause the the cost that business more money, cause it to have less confidence, cause the the owners to say, "No, I'm not going to hire any more people this year. Uh, There's just too much uncertainty." And if we could figure out a way to lighten the 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 load, the weight of government on business in Alberta without sort of violating our our beliefs that we've got to operate with clean uh, energy, clean environmental standards, ethical standards, respect for for gender and respect for diversity. None of that has to be compromised when we say that those are givens. But in this day and age, how could government lighten its weight on those job creators in our Alberta
0: economy? What do you say to those who think we focus too much maybe on the bottom line in a sense and not enough on, I'll call it good debt or the, the, we need the infrastructure now and we'll turn around when you say, hey, we need to watch our spending, we'll turn around and say, oh, wait, you're, you're going to cut services or you're going to cut staff or that kind of thing. What do you say to those people who think that you know this is all about cutting?
1: Look, there are, st- there are lies and there are damn lies and there are statistics but let me give you three simple facts in 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 the last fifteen years our 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 population growth in Alberta has been about thirty five percent in the last fifteen years alberta government revenues have risen by eighty seven let's say ninety percent in the last fifteen years the provincial government's program spending has grown by one hundred and fifty percent it's it's not it's 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 not it's, it's complex it's mm. difficult, but those three numbers alone tell you, hey there's a red light flashing or there's an amber light flashing that we better pay attention to and figure out how can we how can we spend that money that we're currently making better so that our citizens and our businesses and our unions and our universities and our hospitals are, are, are delivering better services, are, wait, are reducing wait times and delivering better outcomes, learning or health outcomes. And if we went with that attitude and said, with that filter, that, that focus and said, how could we make government better? We're not going to light our hair on fire and say we've got to cut across the board 25%. I'm not, and I don't know. I didn't hear anybody today at the School of Public policies session in Edmonton say those words. They did not say them. But if we don't figure out a way to, to, to put the government and put all governments on a diet, on a spending diet uh albertans are going to uh, are going to turn on governments and say if you guys won 't do it we 'll find somebody who will
0: the n d p ran on diversifying the economy to get away from what they claimed was the boom bust cycle of oil and gas. Are we getting any closer to that diversity at the end of the day
1: uh, yeah, well i, I I'll... economists who can give you chapter and verse on that, but to be fair you know it 's not like we we are we are an energy economy. We're not just an oil and gas economy. We've got, we've got you know we've got Alberta, many Alberta companies who are the largest wind generators uh, generators of electricity in the country. And and so when I think you know, of of diversity and diversification, we we've, we've got that going on right now. But that doesn't mean that you turn your back on resources in that that we have in this province and across the country. We we have the wealth and the you know somebody said in this session today that our middle income that that middle income stretch of of Canadians have good strong middle incomes, largely because of resource development, not just oil and gas, but because of of forestry, uranium, agriculture, mining, fisheries. That, That has been the mainstay of the Canadian economy. And it's our strength. Don't turn our backs on that strength because out of that strength comes comes the diversity and the diversification that you're talking about but you don't cut off your left leg uh and your right leg and say gosh we're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna diversify our economy Uh, you you build on the strengths that you have uh, rather than say gosh let's just import nigerian or venezuelan oil tell me about their gender policies tell me about their their human rights and their uh, and and their diversification they, they don't have it
0: we are revisiting the conversation i had back in mid to late september i believe it was the 20th of september with former finance minister jim dinning i will dissect that conversation once again for you and if you want to call in 403-974-8255 this is calgary today on 770 CHQR Like I said before, I'm all about solutions at the end of the day. And one of the things that I have found is there are a lot of people here in Calgary who are at the very least trying something different. And one of those trying something different happens to be in the entrepreneurship realm. Victoria Lennox is the co-founder and CEO of Startup Canada, and what I wanted to do was get a bit of a picture of what it looks like out there if you're looking to maybe jump to something new. So, Victoria, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: When it comes to the year in review, how would Startup Canada uh, look at things from the standpoint of how business was?
2: From the startup perspective, uh, the Canadian startup community has just been growing And we see that as a response to changing industries and different uh, government investments and incentives that are helping new companies to start up.
0: What kinds of businesses have been really, I guess, at the forefront of some of the growth?
2: A lot of the growth is coming from the tech sector, at least in my industry. Uh, We're seeing great strides, especially in Montreal and Toronto around artificial intelligence Advanced manufacturing is kicking off, kind of the digital economy, uh, and cybersecurity out east. So it's a very exciting time for Canada as we try to get ahead of the global race around technology.
0: How difficult is that field to navigate given that, if anything else, technology is probably the most worldwide in a sense?
2: Well, there's certainly global competition, but the beauty of having a startup is you're very nimble and you can move very quickly. Uh, What we're seeing more and more in Canada is global multinational companies like Amazon Web Service uh, bring really important units of their global team to Canada and that means our startups now have a global supply chain that they can tap into in order to expand globally. It is a global economy, and so this is where our startups can grow.
0: What, ha- what is the uh, persuasion, I guess, for Canada when it comes to startups? What's bringing some of the best here to get business going?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, certainly the political climate in the United States uh, Kind of more liberally minded uh, business people in Silicon Valley are looking to Canada as an alternative uh, to start up their company or to join one of our high growth companies so uh we're We're very uniquely positioned right now to be able to attract talent. Also, from a foreign direct investment perspective, uh, it's much cheaper for the global uh, community to invest in Canadian startups versus American startups. Uh, the value on each dollar is much more significant, and we have great talent, so it's a you know a great mix uh, that's attracting global talent to Canada.
0: When you look at success, what defines success for a lot of these? Uh, business owners? because And I, the reason I ask is I think some people, when they decide that they're going to strike out on their own, they think that they're going to aim for a million or a billion dollars kind of thing and maybe go public <laughs> one day. But I assume yeah. the idea of success is probably different for a lot of people.
2: Oh, uh, absolutely. And uh, we also find that, especially the millennial crowd, Um, and younger generations, they're really looking to start businesses as solutions to social problems to make an impact. And So even though they might be approaching the solution through a technology, um, they're really looking to make an impact, make a difference and improve the world. Um, uh 4% 4.3% of Canadian companies are high growth companies. Those are the ones that kind of shoot up like Shopify and Hootsuite. Um, uh Skip the Dishes would be another example. Uh but uh that's not the majority of uh, Canadian companies. Ultimately, what our entrepreneurs are looking to do is to better communities in our country and to make a long-lasting impact.
0: For those especially here in the West where we've been grappling with unemployment rates and, and that kind of thing and the oil industry being what it is, I think a lot of people might be out there going, I, I, I want to try to strike out on my own, but I'm not comfortable or I'm not confident in the way that things are going or I might not be strong in my business savvy, that kind of thing. What should people have as maybe the, the first steps towards maybe doing their own startup, becoming
2: an entrepreneur? For sure. Well, we've talked a lot about technology, uh, but that shouldn't dissuade anybody from starting up if you're not kind of uh, with a technology background. I'm certainly not. Um, And most small businesses aren't tech companies, but they're enabled by technology, whether they're selling online or they have a point of sale system within their retail store. So put the technology aside. And I, I do believe in the economy moving forward that we all need to learn how to build economies around ourselves Um, And to build the entrepreneurial skills to be resilient and independent. And that's what I love about entrepreneurship is you can be independent. So the first step I would say is what's that burning desire? What's that itch you've always wanted to scratch? Identify that, something that you're just so passionate about that you've been saying, I'll get I'll get to it one day, and start now um, with with little steps. Grab the domain name, get online, and just start small. Because the biggest factor to success is time. There's no such thing as an overnight success. Uh, even some of the, the the companies shooting up right now, they've been in the market for twenty years plus. So the sooner you start, the better. And you only live once, and entrepreneurship can be a great way to you know live to the fullest and to really experience all of the all of the best things of life.
0: You really hit on something there that I've I've really taken to heart, I think myself in the last uh, number of years here, is you really need to love what you're doing. And if you think that an entrepreneurial job or startup is going to be the typical nine to five, you're going to be woken up real <laughs> early, aren't you?
2: Yes, absolutely. More like 24-7, 365, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it doesn't turn off. Uh, it, it's all-consuming. So that uh, you have to be really passionate.
0: Mm -hmm. That was the word that I was thinking of, too, as you were talking. Uh, Final question for you. When you look ahead to 2019, what do you expect as maybe uh, some of of your expectations, I guess, when it comes to the year in startups and the year in entrepreneurship?
2: Yeah, I think our economy is going to continue to change, and that's going to put significant pressure on our workforce. I think we're going to see jobs displaced, as we had in 2018, and we're going to see Uh, A really big focus on the need for individuals as people we need to upskill in order to remain competitive and that can be really hard especially the older that we get Uh, so it's really important to focus on skills and education and training and lifelong learning and I see that as transitioning into the startup community and also seeing uh, with our startup community uh, a larger focus on succession with an aging population older entrepreneurs are looking to hand over their companies to the next generation and the next generation that has an opportunity to take those companies to the next level, but we need to make that connection. Canada will continue to lead the world in uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, I, we have an opportunity to own it for a second year with open data. I think it'll be a good year for startups because essentially as an alternative, it's a solution to a changing workforce.
0: Victoria, I appreciate the time. Have a great Christmas season.
2: <laughs> you too. Thank you.
0: Victoria Lennox is the uh, co-founder and CEO of Startup Canada, shedding a little light on what they've been seeing in terms of the numbers rolling in, saying, you know, what? maybe now's the time to try something different, to get away from the man become, or the woman become their own person in the business world. And I'll be f- intrigued to see, especially the the AI thing really kind of makes me it, it makes me shiver a little bit, but at the same time, it's crazy how AI and virtual reality is becoming closer and closer to a reality. Just imagine being 20 years ago and thinking that would be a real thing. Crazy. We'll keep on top of that conversation for sure. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. There's a reason that those in the hockey world call it a world-class tournament, the Max Midget Hockey tournament here in Calgary is underway. Day two began on a boxing day and we'll continue right through until the final on January 1st at the Scotiabank Saddle Dome. But the, like I said, there's a reason why they call it world class. And if you look back in the history books, you'll see just how many big names came through that tournament and are now, pardon me, sitting in the NHL and doing some pretty big things. Well, the Max Midget Tournament organizers have decided to give a reboot to their Wall of Fame. Joining us to talk a little bit more about that is Tournament Vice President Chris Turnbull. Chris, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon.
3: You're welcome, Joe. Thank you for having us. Let's go
0: back to, I guess, the moment when you guys figured out that you wanted to do a revamp. What sort of brought that whole idea of getting the Wall of Fame updated and really looking spiffy for this year's tournament?
3: You know what? Um, we realized that it had been neglected, and we realized that we had to, uh, you know, bring it back up because people were starting to complain that, hey, you know, there's nothing ever new. And, and a long time ago, I, was, I had an opportunity to go down to Toronto to the Hockey Hall of Fame, and I was there for a function. They said, hey, we're going to take you to the Hockey Hall of Fame, and they dropped us off at a community rink, and I thought, this isn't the Hockey Hall of Fame, it's downtown. And they said, no, this is better. This is the archives of the Hockey Hall of Fame. And I started thinking, geez, why don't we have an archives? Why don't we have something that we can update and something that we can keep fresh? And so I took it upon myself and with a couple other, with the assistance of a couple of other directors, and we started uh, making the changes and updating things to you know, basically 2007, uh, 2018.
0: How important was it for the organization to be able to shed a little light on just how popular this tournament is, number one, but also, number two, how much talent has been churned out over the years?
3: Well, you know, and and that's one of the things that we've always preached was, was the amount of talent that has gone through this tournament. And, you know, you, you talk about it, but you really didn't show it. And now we're able to show it. We're able to say, hey, look at the Wall of Fame. You know, there's 65 people on there. That uh, you know were first round draft picks in the National Hockey League, and ten of them were first overall draft picks in the National Hockey League. So I think that says something about you know the quality of the of the player and the quality of the team that come to the Max Tournament every year.
0: What is the criteria for getting onto the wall? Uh,
3: the criteria is basically you have to have played a, in, in the in the case of the male program, you have to have played or coached at the National Hockey League level. Okay. and played in the tournament.
0: And as for the, the ladies?
3: As for the ladies, you have to have played uh, internationally or coast internationally.
0: Understood. So from that standpoint, anybody really surprise you as to go, oh, wow, I didn't realize they played in the, in the Max? You
3: know what, Joe? I had one this, this morning. I had a gentleman come into my office this morning and say, hey, my son's not up on the Wall of Fame. And I said, well, sir, what makes you think that your son deserves to be on the wall of fame? And he says, well, when he played in the tournament with the Calgary Royals, he was the only defenseman in the history of the tournament to win the best defenseman award, the tournament MVP, the, uh, the uh, leading scorer, and be a first-team all-star. So it was one of those things where I was dumbfounded. I, I, didn't, I didn't know it. And then he said, well, my son's name is Mark Astley, and we looked it up, and yeah, there it is right there former Locking Calgary Flames in our own records. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's an, it's, it's fascinating to always look back and I'm a big fan of the uh, looking back in the archives and seeing, you know, where we've come from in a sense. And it, when you look over those 40 years and you know, look at some of the names that have come through, what sort of sticks out to you?
3: You know, I, I think what sticks out to you is, is, is the number of players that were in the tournament multiple times. Like, you know, you look at a Zach Parisi, Zach was here twice. Sydney Crosby was here twice. Sydney was actually played for two different teams during the tournament. He played for the uh, Dartmouth Subways the the first year, and then he came back with the Shattuck St. Mary's the second year. Um, You know, you don't always they don't always do something the first year, but you know, sometimes quite often the second year they they do something. In Zach's case, he did something every year, so I mean, he was a first team all star and he was a MVP and leading score and that in both his terms. So, I mean, it's just. There's neat little things that you, you notice when you start going through the archives and you start looking at you know, the details that you come up with and say, jeez, I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, no kidding. From that, po- from that standpoint, what's been the response? It's only been a couple of days into the tournament now, but what's the response been from people who are, who are taking a gander at uh, the new, newly revamped Wall of Fame?
3: You know what? I've walked around the arena a few times now, and I've probably had a dozen people stop me and say, hey, Wall of Fame, good job. You know, they just they they like to see something new, something different. And I mean, you know, we we still have some member some memorabilia up there for the for the female program, and we have memorabilia up there for the female Olympic team that was here last year to play an exhibition game against the Hungary U seventeen. We've got our volunteers recognized up there, uh, you know what they do, and you know, I mean they put in over five million hours over forty years mm. to make this tournament what it is today. And so I mean it's. It, it, it's, yeah, it's special.
0: I can only imagine what that'll. Uh, I can't look. I can't wait to uh, get down to Max Bell and take a gander at it because I, I guarantee you there will be a lot of memories. that will be uh, reminisced about for sure on that. Chris, uh, appreciate the time this afternoon. No problem, Joe. And uh, when you come by, look for me. I'll give you a tour. Sounds great to me. Thanks again, Rob, for doing it. Or Chris uh, Chris Turnbull, the tournament vice president for the Max Midget Hockey Tournament, which is going on today through January 1. Yes, 4.30, I believe, is puck drop on the final at the Saddle Dome. If there's a hockey event to be had around Chestermere, chances are Alex Hallett is a part of it. Now, you may remember that name from that massive hockey marathon world record setting game that's been had a couple of times over the last few years but he's now a part of the tim hortons western canadian pond hockey championships that started today on chestermere lake and alex joins us now on the program alex thanks for your time today
4: thanks for having me on let's talk a
0: little bit about the western canada pond hockey championships what is this all about and how long you guys going for
4: you know what? This is something that we thought of when we, you know, about a year and a half ago. We've done the two world's longest hockey games out here and we decided let's do something unique out here in Chestermere. We have the lake at our disposal, so about a year and a half ago we planned this massive hockey tournament and the uh, goal was 40 teams. We actually took 61. We turned away about 39 teams, so it got, got a lot bigger than we thought it was going to get, but it's working out nicely today.
0: It's got to be pretty nice to be able to go back to the roots of the game, in a sense, and be able to, to play outside, even though it might be a bit chilly out there.
4: You know what? I love it, minus the, the wind sitting <laughs> on the lake, but it's actually been quite pre- pleasant today. The kids are absolutely loving it. Uh, we even get the kids involved. You know, after their games are done, parents throw them shovels. They shovel it up for the next team to come on. So It's, uh, it's been a blast for all ages. You know, that The kids, will Tykes, right up until the, the Bantams are playing now. And we got the seniors on later tonight.
0: Talk about some of the challenges that you guys face in doing something that's outdoors and trying to plan as far in advance as you guys do.
4: One of the biggest things is the weather. Like, it's Calgary. Um, uh, You know, it's a matter of, you know, ice thickness. We're going to have close to 4,000 people throughout the day on, on the ice. So, thankfully, Mother Nature has worked with us. We got onto the ice about two and a half weeks ago. We started clearing it so it can thicken up overnight. Uh, to the point we got it to about 12 inches, so we're pretty good right now. Uh, and then crossing your fingers, open a blizzard or a storm doesn't come through. So we've been pretty blessed with Mother Nature's help here in the last couple of weeks.
0: There's been a real cool uh, idea behind this, in a sense, in terms of even doing stuff for charity as well. Talk about that aspect of, of what's going on.
4: You know, we try to do all of our events. We tie them into something charitable or charitable aspect of some sort. Typically, we like to work with children, obviously, so we have the Children's Cottage of Calgary. But with the amount of attention the Food Bank or the Veterans Food Bank has received in the last year or so, being they shut their doors, reopened their doors, got a new board, so we figured what better way than to help our veterans. They've sacrificed so much for us. The least we can do is a little bit of a hockey tournament and try to raise them a couple bucks. We also have the drop-off bins here. People are dropping off piles of food for the vets as well.
0: You guys, uh, you're you're pretty well-versed in the whole organizing big-scale big, big scale events like this. Uh, what's maybe the, the the best part about uh, an event like this in your eyes?
4: You know, the best part about this is the kids. The kids notice what we're doing. We have so many amazing volunteers. And I know living in Chestermere, kids come up with unique fundraising ideas throughout the year. So, you know, if we can get, you know, one or two kids to continue this on, you know what, it makes everything makes it all worth it. So it's a matter of the kids paying it forward. We're not going to be around forever. We're not going to have the energy to do this forever. It's a matter of the kids taking the torch and then running with it in years to come.
0: How do you define success for an event like this?
4: You know what? Just seeing the the happiness. Just kids coming up, giving you a fist pump. You know, kids that you don't even know to say, hey, you know, Coach Alex, thanks for for this event. This is awesome. One of the biggest things, we had a game today. It was a Bantam AAA team, boys team, playing a girls team the boys were lighting up the girls it was something like 20 to 1. So the girls actually came up to me and said, hey, listen, do you mind changing the rules? What do you mean? Can we play them ringette in the second half and show these boys? So I went and asked the boys team. And they said, let's do it. So they actually played ringette in the second half of the game, and the girls lost by one goal. So, you know, there's no real rule. There's rules tied to the game, but there's a unique opportunity like that. You know, boys get to experience something different, and, and the crowd got right into it. It was just seeing everyone's. Faces smiling and cheering, cheering for those girls to beat those boys it was great.
0: I don't know what it is about those small town events, and not to say Chestermere's a small town, but still, it's got that small town feel to it. But whatever it is, whatever you put in the in the juice down there, it's got to be working. Those uh, those fans come out and they're uh, they're ready to to cheer them on for the next three days. You know,
4: Chestermere is a unique community. We're so hospitable out here. We invite everyone to come out. And, you know, check out what we have out here. You know, we're right across the street from Calgary. We're not far away. Uh come check out the community, check out our fine restaurants. Definitely come check out this pond hockey tournament we're running for the next three days. We wanna see as many people as possible. Tim Hortons is a huge sponsor of the event. They got free coffee and timbits for everybody out there. Uh you know, so you have no reason to you know, you're not gonna be cold. Just Fill
0: yourself without chocolate. It's not uh, It's not too bad out. It could be a lot worse. So I'm glad you guys are able to stay a little bit warm out there and having a little bit of fun at the Tim Hortons Western Canada Pond Hockey Championship out in Chestermere. Uh, Alex, appreciate the time and have fun out there over the next few days. Thanks so much. I appreciate is, it. Sorry about that. That is Pond Hockey Championship event organizer Alex Hallett as uh, that is underway over the next three days. If you want to check out some outdoor hockey, Lots of hockey to be watched, whether it's World Junior Spangler Cup, the Max Midget Tournament, or even just the, uh, the Western Canada Pond Hockey Championship out at Lake Chestermere or Chestermere Lake. Uh, great times had by all, and I love that story about how the girls were like, you know what, let's play them in ringette and whoop them. Great job by all. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Uh-huh. As I was conjuring up the, our getting ready for our next guest here, one of the things that kind of came to mind was, for those of you who grew up in the Much Music uh, era, where, when it was pretty big, remember the, the tree toss they did after Christmas every year? And it always had explosions and fire and all that kind of thing. By no means is that what we're looking at here, but are there options on what to do with your Christmas tree, particularly if it's real, after Christmas? Joining us now to maybe learn a little bit more about this is a senior conservation biologist at the Nature Conservancy of Canada, Dan Kraus. Dan, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Thanks, Joe. Let's start with the, now that Christmas is over, they're thinking, okay, what do I do with my tree? What is maybe the best thing to do with a tree?
5: So traditionally, you know, people put their tree out and there's maybe a municipal program where they come around and they collect your tree and they'll, they'll either take it to the landfill, or hopefully they'll chip it up and they'll, they'll compost it. But there's another thing you can do with your tree, and that's for the winter. You can put it in your backyard. Now, some of us end up doing this anyhow because we miss that day when the city comes around and picks up the tree. But by putting your tree in your backyard, you can actually provide some habitat for wildlife over the winter and get a little bit more enjoyment out of your tree than just uh, the two or three weeks that's in your house.
0: Mm-hmm. Is there something to be said about keeping it back there, especially when in the, here in Calgary it's been warmer, we haven't had a whole lot of snow, so does it provide any kind of uh, protection for the grass or that kind of thing that you might have back there or even some nutrients for maybe your garden?
5: Yeah, certainly. You know, in the winter, you put it in your backyard, especially if you have a bird feeder, you'll find the birds are, are using the tree. like Right away for the winter, they'll, they'll sit in it before they go to your feeder or they'll find shelter in it. But then you can actually keep your tree even longer. And what we're suggesting people do is, is come spring, uh, once you maybe don't want a, a dead tree in the middle of your backyard, uh, you can actually compost your tree and let nature help you to, to compost it. So you can uh, take that tree where a lot of the needles will have fallen off by at that time in the spring, cut the branches off of it, and you can lay those branches on the ground, maybe where your uh, flowers are going to come up. They'll provide a little bit of protection. And then the trunk of that tree... Uh you can put it in your garden or along along the edge of a garden and uh it will start to break down and provide nutrients uh to your garden.
0: What's uh, does it matter what kind of tree? I know there's different styles out there.
5: Yeah, well, don't do it with an artificial tree, or <laughs> not, you're not going to see a lot of uh, decomposition happen. Fair enough, <laughs> but but most most trees, you know, pine and spruce, these these are woods that break down pretty quickly when they're exposed to the elements. That's why you don't build your your deck out of balsam fir. Mm-hmm. And if the the branches and the trunk of the tree are in contact with the, the soil. Um, the moisture, and then also the bacteria and, and fungus that are in the soil will start to get into that wood and break it down, just like you see in a, a native natural forest. If you go through a forest, you don't see dead trees lying around everywhere. They have kind of this second life as they fall to the ground. They start to, to break down. They bring kind of life to the soil and help uh, help in the renewal of the forest. And you can do that on a smaller scale in your uh, in your backyard.
0: What about the other plants that you might have kicking around the house? You know, I know there's a lot of poinsettias, that kind of thing. Any that we should be worried about throwing into the garden or into the backyard? Maybe that they're not necessarily nutrient rich, perhaps. Well, all of that stuff can be can
5: be composted, and uh, you know, th- this is something like my grandmother used to do, right? In the, in the days before the city would come and pick stuff up. You know, the, she had a compost pile in the backyard where poinsettias would go. You know, the greenery from Christmas would go. And uh, you can compost that into nutrients. Um, and a lot of people do that. But I think the idea of taking your tree, especially if you have kids, it's a great way for them to learn about in our, our natural forest, uh, how trees, they have a life. When they die, they actually kind of can build the soil and help to, and help, to, um, help the forest to grow. And certainly the best way to learn about forests is to go to a, a park or go to a Nature Conservancy of Canada property. But you can, you can kind of learn about the cycle of forests in your own backyard.
0: Not just a practical solution, but also one that has a teachable moment as well. I like that idea, Dan. I appreciate the time today. All right. Thank you, Joe. Dan Kraus is the senior conservation biologist at the Nature Conservancy of Canada. As you think about ways to get rid of that tree, and Patrick still thinks that the best idea is going to the 17th floor of your apartment and tossing it off in fire. I still think that that'd be a, on fire. Sorry have it on fire see nothing makes a spectacle quite like that that's for sure i'm sure the fire department would have something to say about that though this is calgary today on 770 chqr thanks so much for listening to the calgary today podcast you can find it on itunes google play and tune in when you do don't forget to write the show and leave a comment until next time my friends